0: Good to see you guys. Um, as you know, I'm sure from trying to park here today. Birthday is just up the hill. So after the gathering settlement, we're gonna walk up there, eat some good food, have some fun. If you want to join us, you're welcome to. If it's your first time here, we've got these handy little connect cards. Um, and uh, if you fill these out give us uh, some information, we'd love to um, share with you our newsletter, what's going on, what our vision of our church is for the city, and um, also just uh, get you a free gift. We have some uh, free gifts out there, so if you get one of these, fill it out can turn and turn it in, we have a gift for you guys. It's good to see you all today. Yeah, Everybody smiling. That's that's really unique. It is a happy day today. Yeah. People love here. It's happy here. To see you guys. I'm stoked. We're in this uh, series on Jonah. This is the second sermon. And I wanted to start off with a question or a series of questions because today I don't I don't want it to just be another sermon, just another time we we'll we get together, hear something, and walk away and you know, grab in an hour or whatever we eat. Um, but I, I want you to see your life with refreshed eyes today. So I just want to ask you. In 2015, in San Diego, of all the places in the world, why are you here? Is it all just time and chance? Did God have a purpose in it? Is there there maybe something greater at that that's brought you here? Is it possible that God determined that you'd be alive at this very moment in time? And He planned out the days before you. And if so, does that, mean, does that mean that He might have a plan for you, a mission, a purpose in your life for His kingdom? If there is, like, do you know what it is? Do you know what God's purpose is for you, His mission for you? Are you could you be missing out on the very thing God brought you into this life for? Are you fulfilling it? You know, this week our gospel community got together and we were. Um, praying and reading through Jeremiah chapter 1, and this verse really stood out to us. So we talked about Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. I'll have it up here on the screen for you. God says to Jeremiah, he's calling him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nation when you start interfacing with some of the Old Testament prophets, we realize maybe God has something greater for our lives. And as we discuss this, somebody else brought up Psalm 139, and, and it says this, in Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful for your works. My soul knows it very well. My friend wasn't hidden from you, and I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Then look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knew us. God planned out every day of our lives. In fact, if, if what the prophets are saying is true, before we were created in our mom's womb, God made to be here today. To be at this moment, to listen to his word. Need you being here is not an accident. Daniel 2, Acts 17, they both say God determines the places and the times we live. Like scripture is overflowing with this truth that God has a plan for you and that he knows exactly why you're here today. I'm, I'm excited, I'm excited about it. It's something we see right here in this first chapter of Jonah. God calls Jonah to be his prophet. And as we saw last week, the first time God calls Jonah In 1 Kings, Jonah obeys. And that's awesome, right? And the second time, who we see last week, God in the first chapter of Jonah calls Jonah to a new mission. He wakes him up out of the sleepiness of his little life and says, I have something greater for you. And what's Jonah do? That's great. Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against me, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So three points of interest today as we talk about a tale of two cities. The first one is Nineveh. The second one is that God loves cities. And the third one is that God is building a city, the city of God. Let's pray, Lord God, Father, pray that you would anoint this time, open our eyes, open our hearts to hear your word, to hear maybe a re-envisioning of the call and the purpose you have on each of our lives. Pray that we would listen to that with anticipation, not fear, because your plan is always the best thing for us, and that we would be excited about what you're doing in interest In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. So, God interrupts Jonah, calls him away from his small life to something greater. What's Jonah do? He runs the other way. Why? Why does Jonah run the other way? Well, we talked a bit about it last week about some of Jonah's internal motivators. But let's also talk about Nineveh. Now, when you check out, just go to Wikipedia for starters. Uh, Check out Nineveh. Nineveh is an interesting city. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire, one of the oldest cities in the world. You guys heard of Nimrod? Right after the time of Noah, Nimrod goes and he builds a city. And and the Bible credits, Nimrod with the foundation of, of Nineveh. So Nineveh is an old city. And it's, it's a big city. So it's right on the Tigris River, and this is what's crazy, 30 miles long and 10 miles wide. It's a big city. So if you think of maybe Manhattan, for instance, you look at Manhattan, Manhattan Island is 13 and a half miles long. And that's wide, it's only two, two and a half miles wide. So, if you add all the other boroughs in, you know, the Bronx, Queens, John's House, all those other boroughs, you add them all in, and then you end up with something that's about the size of Nineveh, all over New York City. Or to put it in perspective here, since we're familiar with San Diego, if you drove from Del Mar out to Lake Hodges and then down to San Diego, that's about as big as Nineveh. Huge. It's a mega city, right? How in the world is Jonah going to cover all that ground? Think about that. God calls him to this task, and it seems overwhelming, right? And the other thing is, like, it's full of people who are smarter, more cultured than Jonah is, different from him. Nineveh is a hub for culture. Um, firstly, it's positioned in this place where west meets east. And so there's all kinds of trade flowing through it. So it's a rich city. It's loaded, it's got lots of stuff going on there, but it's also wealthy because there's a lot of inventions that happen at in Nano. So, today when you're your house, it you probably locks your door, hopefully. Um, locks and keys were invented in Nano. Interesting. Um, they invented a system at time that the first ones that came up with 360 degrees to a circle. They invented paved roads. They invented plumbing, they say it in hand. <laughs> they actually have flushing toilets and the original types of aqueducts there in Nineveh. They have a postal system the first use of iron, the first libraries. They have the first governmental system that a land out to governors that would check in with the central government. Like so it's a huge megaplex of culture, shaping culture in the ancient world. And Nineveh's a global player like much like San Diego full of people raising families, trying to get ahead. Really big city, they, they already have a religion. So Jonah's like, they're different from me, and they already got a religion. They worship Ishtar. who's the goddess of war and fertility. And they worship, and this will come in handy later, a god named Dagon, who's the fish god. He's kind of a mermaid-looking dude. And um, he he's the god of provision and war. And they're also a military hub, kind of like San Diego, but their military was a little different than ours. Um a little more brutal. They were the first world conquerors, so the first world empire. And when when you've got a world empire that's taking over territory after territory, you use brutal tactics. So there's these pictures of in, in the city and reliefs of them like stacking the heads of their enemies into the pyramids and standing on them alive and putting their skin up on a city wall and tanning it and turning it into leather. Like it's like some Hannibal electric stuff. What they did, they would drag people through the, through the streets of the city with fish looks in their mouths. Like, what in the world? They're crazy in minimum. Brutal. I would be scared to go there. I'm sure Jonah felt the tinge of like, what? You want me to go where? Right? It's no wonder he's freaked. So the city's huge. The task seems impossible. They're, they're different. It's a dark city. They're pagan. They're scary. He's freaked out. There's, there's no way God is actually calling him. To this impossible task. And besides, he's suffering. He's got a push fight. He's a successful prophet. He's lounging back in his easy boy. God calls him and interrupts his life. I have a question for you. Would you go? God can't to either in. and told you this. Would you go? I think when we see things from our limited perspective, we probably think about things the way Jonah it adds up the way he freaked out but when you see things from God's perspective it changes everything right Jonah's missing a few things think about these from God's perspective of course these people are different but doesn't God care for them too Jonah's freaked out but I mean can God protect him is God able able to protect Jonah yes or no tell me all right Jonah might be comfortable, but who gave Jonah a lot of comfort? Who made him a successful prophet? God did, he? The task may seem impossible, but it, let me ask you, is there anything too hard for God? Now, God was there in Nineveh long before Jonah ever showed up, preparing hearts and preparing away for his message. So Jonah's like, no thing you. it's an enormous concrete jungle full of Strangers who scare the, the you know, what out of me, and God says, Go. Why? Why does God say, Go? The second point God loves cities. God has a heart for cities. In Jeremiah 29, Israel's is in exile. God told the Israelites who had been taken into Babylonian captivity this. And you might be familiar with this, but, but just listen to this scripture with, with new eyes Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I carry you into in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for it, because if it prospers. You too will prosper. So God, God, tells His people who are being held captive in a foreign culture to seek the good of the people around them. Their enemies, the people who have them captive, the people who are against them, seek their good. Seek the city's good. Pray that it prospers. It's like, wait a second. They have different values than us. They don't even love you, God. They're jerks to us. They treat us really bad. I don't like the way they fill in the blank. Anything. Right? And God says, work for their good. Even if they disagree with you. Even if they aren't in a private relationship with me." Be a blessing. That still sounds radical to us. Especially in Christian culture here in America. But it winds up with the whole counsel of God. What is the second greatest commandment that Jesus says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. What did God tell Abraham in their covenant? He told Abraham in Genesis 12 to, to be a blessing to the nations. What does John 3 16 say? For God what? To so love the world. To so love the world. Scripture is calling us to love and serve everyone around us regardless of their beliefs. And that brings up this whole issue of calling that I won't take too long to sidestep into, but tolerance isn't hiding your beliefs or or being afraid to share. Tolerance is loving other people in spite of their beliefs. That's what tolerance is. And that's what Christianity is all about. That's God's call to His people, especially in cities. Like Jonah, we are called to love and serve cities. Why? Three main reasons. One, the first reason, A, cities are where people are moving. Like, in 1900, Just just a few short years ago, a lifetime ago, only 10% of the world's population was urban. By 2005, more than 50% of the world's population had become urban. And is the trend accelerating or decelerating? Yeah, it's growing. In five years, more than 25 cities will have populations in excess of 11 million people. Put that in perspective, San Diego's one3 Million. So that's, that's huge. 25 cities in excess of 11 million. By 2050, four of the to top five would be mega giant cities of 40 million people or more. And at the, the end of the book of Jonah, what does God ask Jonah, He says, Should I not be concerned about that great city? See, God cares about people. God cares about people, whether they're their ethnicity, regardless of that, regardless of whether they're male or female or education, whether they're immoral or moral, young or old, it doesn't matter. God loves people. And cities are made up of people. Therefore, God loves cities, right? B, uh, this, I love The cities are the key centers of cultural influence. There's a famous quote by Roger Greenway that says, As the cities go, so go the nations of the world. Cities create culture. I I was talking to Lily about that this week. I said, Lily, why do you think God will cities?" And she said, because everything happens in (laughs) cities. And everybody out in the suburbs and rural areas learns about it later, right? Is that where (laughs) things (laughs) go. Cities are where cultures form. They're centers for education, the arts, and and media, and music. Anything that you can think about, any aspect of culture, generally is formed where? The city. And so when you look at culture, as a Christian, you're going to look at culture and say, man, culture's pretty polluted. What are we going to do about that? Well, uh, I love the way one pastor said, he said, cultures are like a river, right? And they're flowing from the city. And Christians classically have said, man, that river's polluted. You know what we need to do? Let's go out into the wilderness, let's dig a well, and let's eat all the pure bar. Let's drink that, okay? But the problem is what? There's a bunch of people still drinking out of that polluted river, right? So God's call to us isn't just to diss the whole system, but it's to move upstream where culture is formed and purify the river at the source. that make sense? God's call to us is to radically change culture because of the gospel in the city. Why? Because culture influences people and God loves people. Um, I know this quote here by Alan Mark. As the main purveyor of influence to surrounding communities, the city is where culture is formed. The Christian desire to shape culture with the gospel therefore requires Christians to live and be active in the city. And just like, we're not saying everybody has to live in the city. We're not saying like people that are in rural areas are against the will of God. Anywhere there's people... There's a mission, right? Because God loves people. But you and I live in a city today. That's where we're called. And so we have a specific calling that we're going to talk about more and more. The Father, um, Church Father Augustine, described this in the city of God. He said, it's not just enough for us to simply live as individuals in a city. We must live as a particular kind of community. What Jesus talked about in Matthew, he says... There was supposed to be salt and light. Was supposed to be a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. In the city of God, Augustine makes this case for a city that's alive within the greater city, a city of God alive within the city of man. Choose the world the way things are supposed to be, the way life is supposed to be. It transforms the culture within that city. Tim Keller says it this way. Christians are called to be an alternate city within every earthly city, an alternate human culture within every human culture to show how sex, money, and power can be used in non-destructive ways. That's why we call the church a new city. That's our hope for this city is that our church would actually be a community of light within this city, that we would live as a countercultural city to show the world what God's character is like. What his love is like. What it looks like to have grace in relationships that are difficult sometimes. What it looks like to persevere in marriage when things get really tough and everybody's taking an easy way out. What it looks like to raise your kids, discipline them, pay your bills, every part of that, we live out loud in community as a way of glorifying God and pointing people to him. Because he loves him. And the third third thing, cities are God's plan. Purpose. So we shouldn't think of them as evil. I know you watch movies like Apocalypto or Avatar, right? You know, like the message is like civilization's bad, cities are bad, The no that's where it's at. We often to you in the forest, you live under a tree, wear a loincloth, everything would be very perfect. It's awesome. right? But the Bible has something different to say about cities. That, I mean, if you look culturally, cities are a place of refuge. But the poor, people out there, the weak, the poor—they're not protected. You come the city. There's law, there's order, there's rules, there's government to protect people from being taken advantage of, from being manipulated. And if you look like uh, back even as early as Genesis one, many started to make the case that what God is telling Adam to all these demands for Adam to to go out into the world, to, to um, build culture and civilization to glorify God, um, that He would multiply and fill and subdue the earth. In other words, He's bringing order and creating beauty. He's developing a culture and society to honor God and to let everybody enjoy it. Abraham, right? In, in Hebrews 11, what does say? It says, Abraham goes out looking forward to the city which has foundations, whose architect and and what's heaven in the What does God describe heaven as? It's his city. In Revelation 21, right? The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. Which brings us to our last point, point number three. God's building a city. A city of God. Keller also says this, life in a city is our eternal destiny. Think about that. Think about what your images of heaven are. I think cities are eternal destiny. There, guys, here's the deal. Kind of the thesis of this sermon, if you will. There are always two cities. There's the city of man that's in need of redemption and the city of God that brings redemption. Let me ask you, which city are you living for? Which city are you living like is the greater reality? Are you overwhelmed with the brokenness of the city of man? Or are you energized by faith because of the city of God? I'm going to, have to turn this into a discussion and ask you guys this, this question What does God's city look like? From what you know, Scripture, the prophetic imagination that we see in the Old Testament, and the New Testament, the prophets, how do they describe that? The, what are some of the elements that you guys hear in the city of God that will one day be here fully realized? Part of it. But like, no night. Daytime. And why no night? Does anybody remember? Because he's the night. Jesus is the light. Yeah. Think about that as an even metaphor just momentarily. What would it look like if the city became increasingly, increasingly brighter and less less darkness because Jesus was exalted. And the light, would show, the light of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Um like what do you suffer? What do you please? Wedding supper, wedding feast, food, celebration, party—that's the kind of picture of heaven I like, personally. That's way better than a cloud with a, a heart. Where some people picture heaven as like a town church service. Oh my Lord, help me! And out of fifty thousand choir, he's gonna stand up and sing five songs. I love church services, don't get me wrong, but that's not heaven, is it? What is heaven? Yeah. Who's next? No need. Say it one more time. No need. No meeting. No more meeting. No need for it. Yeah. Brian. There's a big tree in the middle, and if you eat from it, you live. Tree of life. In the middle of that city, if you eat from it, you live. What else? No sickness or death. I mean, you guys will look forward to that. Yes. No, no more sin. No more sin. No more sin. And I know for some of us, it just sounds like such good news because we like, like Paul, oftentimes times we get caught up even trying to escape the sin and the brokenness in our lives. It's not going to be there anymore. We will be healed. Fully, internally, externally, heal. Yeah. What a picture, of John. No more fatherlessness. Let's be right there with our dad. The perfect dad. No more uh, crime, injustice, inequity, or poverty. Mm-hmm. No more crime, no more injustice, no more inequity, no more poverty, no more homelessness. Yeah. It's a place that God has prepared for us. You know, like Jesus said, "My Father's house is many rooms." You know, um, I've prepared a place for you. I'm going to go and take you to where I am. Yeah, Jesus has handcrafted this place for us. He didn't just assign dominions like despicable me. Go to another city. God Himself has been designing this place. What an architect! Hmm. I mean, if you really wanted to hire like Frank Lloyd Brad or somebody to build you a city, I'm sure it would be. God. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, get new bodies. New bodies. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> just to be able to not have this. <laughs> <laughs> so. Just a place of great art and culture. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, we'll come together and just express our love for God and each other. Um, so, what we do. Yeah. yeah, a great place of honor culture mm-hmm. that's expressing our great love for God and for each other. Yeah. Beautiful, right? One more time. Uh, Paul talks about, like, how in Christian community we're called to just love each other, like, accept each other, accept other Christians in our family and because God's very accepted. Them. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so God's city is, like, the perfection of that, just being in Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that you're already unconditionally accepted in that community and by the people in that So, like, the most beautiful community you can imagine where people really love each other, getting along, and just to the nth degree, where you're at home and you understand. You don't get a lot of data. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. So, if God brought you to this city at this time, it's not an accident or a chance then God's call to every one of us today is to live like that city's reality. I want you to think about that. I'm going to ask one more discussion question. If God's city was here now, what would your street, what would your job, what would your city look like? How would this city be different if God's city was here now? If it's imposing. What's it what, I would say. Would you shoot? Go for it. Anywhere. I had a picture of that the other Saturday where my whole yard was full of weeds and it was out of control. And people came from the city, even kids, which is just the most beautiful thing to watch as kids, pull weeds, and it was restored. Beautiful. Yeah. Because you already had hey, hey, gotten Those weeds are like on steroids or So many. things. And we're able to go over there and, and to take part in that restoration. What a picture that is. Like, I wish we had a before and after picture right now. That's great. What else? Fine. People would use each other to get the things they want. Say it one more time. People would not use each other. People would not use each other. You actually love each other just because of each other. Yeah. Not because of what you get from one another. Wow. Wow. How would politics look in that city? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would, what would you, how would your boss treat you? How would you treat your boss in that scene? Yeah, so um, the homeless would each have a home and those who are immigrants legal or not would be treated with dignity Beautiful. and justice. Right. The homeless would, add, would each have a home and the people who are immigrants would be treated with dignity and respect. People, we wouldn't run out of resources because nobody would be working them. Mm-hmm. Right? We'd be taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. What's it look like to live like that right now? To live, to, to step forward in face to that future reality that God is bringing in our hands to the practitioner they have anybody else yes mm-hmm. yeah we celebrate that we celebrate diversity it's beautiful yeah unity in diversity not uniformly like this dystopian knowledge can't be sure or a uh, great mm-hmm. new world where everybody's like a shaved heads and a number, you know. Yeah, union of expression of who God is creating. Yeah? No corruption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no corruption. So you can trust. You can trust our leaders. You can trust it. Wow, what would that be like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So what does it look like as a green... Doing that here and now to serve the interests of our city, to plant roots here, to become doctors and teachers and lawyers and politicians and, and, and film producers and culture producers and artists and everything in this city to paint a picture of the city of God, to live like that's reality right here right now. God is calling you and I today to re envision why we're here in this city. To recommit to San Diego, to God's calling in life. To love and serve and pray for the city. To dive in, to make our streets and neighborhood look like God's city. To disciple people, to dad's love. Show what he's like through our very community and lives. Are you, are you part of the community that's doing that? Is your community living like the city with I don't know. How, you, how, how are you going to respond to this call today? Are you going to are you going to run for it are you going to run for it? My you explain it away. Maybe when you look at San Diego, you feel what Jonah felt. Oh, they're different from me. Or I'm afraid of this. I mean, you're probably not afraid that you're going to go to your next door neighbor's house and then it's going to go live. But you might still be afraid of people, right? What they'll say, how they'll treat you. The task may seem too great. How on earth are we going to do that? Jonah felt overwhelmed. 30 miles by 10 miles? There's no way. One little guy, I can't cover that in my lifetime. I can't talk to all those people. But God had a plan. Just watch what happens as the sermons unfold over the next few weeks. Watch how God uses his perfect plan to entirely change a city within a few moments. God can do anything. Or maybe your struggle is not i uncomfortable. I'll tell you, God's challenging you. How can you do this? And I'll close with the gospel. The gospel is this: just like Nineveh points to the city of God, points to another city, so the prophet Jonah points to another prophet. Where Jonah ran away from his calling, what did Jesus do? He ran towards his calling. Did he? Think about this. Jonah didn't want to leave his comfort, but Jesus left the throne of heaven to experience pain and suffering and betrayal as a human for us. Jonah disobeyed because he thought the task of changing one city was too great for him. But Jesus obeyed because he knew his task would change the world. Jonah said, "They're different from me. I don't like them." Jesus said, "They're different from me." So I'll become like them. That way David and John, and King and Hannah and Shane and Brooke, every one of us can become like him. Jonah said, they'll kill me, right? Jesus said, yeah, they'll kill me. And I'll still love them, I'll live for them, I'll die for them so they can experience life in that city. I'll be thankful for the love of God today. Jesus loves you so much. He has a plan for your life. It is better than your plan, and it will leave you joy-filled. It will bear fruit. And guys, we don't have to be overburdened with this today either. Because again, it's just too much. A good quote that we say here a lot is this. The burden of mission is God's. The blessing of mission is ours. It's His word. He's going to do it. But He's calling us to put our hands to it and trust Him with it. Little is much when God is Him. So now we can engage our city without fear of failure. Let's stand. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. I'm just going to pray over us. As the musicians come, we're going to sing one song together. And then afterward, we're going to come down and take communion all together. And if it's your first time here, I just want to invite you uh, to check out what communion looks like and feels like. If you're a believer, go ahead and participate in actually taking communion. If you're not, feel welcome still to join one of the circles and observe and just kind of pay attention to what's going on. Listen to people as we confess our areas of need, our fears. As you think about this call on your life to give your life in this city, where are you not in the gospel? What are the fears? What are the things that come up in your heart? We get to come together, step together, and then also confess our belief in the one who's here. I encourage you guys to do that. So we're to a song, and then we're going to come on down and we'll take communion. Um, Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've called us to this beautiful calling, uh, to be a new city within this old city, to be a city of light within a city of darkness, to paint a picture of your love and your grace in our very relationships and our lifestyle together. That draws people to you. you, You're beautiful. You're attractive. But so many people can't see you. Because they see you through the lens of broken churches and hurting people. I pray that you would give us faith. That we can engage our city without fear of failure. Because everything that we do counts. It's not in vain. Because you're the master builder. And you're going to see. Holy Spirit, you are present right now, leading us and guiding us as we live like a new city within this larger broken Nineveh that we you find ourselves in. Give us courage, give us faith in you, and draw us really—not just think—that was a cool thought that though, on Sunday talking about about—to to recommit our lives for this calling and this mission you put on us. And to trust you in Jesus' name. Lord.